Chapter 8, Part 2 of The Commentaries on the Laws of England, Book 2, by William Blackstone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roy Haynes. Of Freeholds, Not of Inheritance. Part 2. 4. Tenant and dower is where the husband of a woman is seized of an estate of inheritance and dies. In this case, the wife shall have the third part of all lands and tenements whereof he was seized during the coverture to hold to herself for the term of her natural life. Dower is called in Latin by the foreign jurists doarium, but by Bracton and our English writers Dos, which among the Romans signified the marriage portion which the wife brought to her husband, but with us is applied to signify the kind of estate to which the civil law in its original state had nothing that bore resemblance. Nor indeed is there anything in general more different than the regulation of landed property according to the English and Roman laws. Dower out of land seems also to have been unknown in the earliest part of our Saxon constitution, for in the laws of King Edmund, the wife is directed to be supported wholly out of the personal estate. Afterwards, as may be seen in Gavilkind tenure, the widow became entitled to a conditional estate in one half of the lands with the proviso that she remained chaste and unmarried as is usual also in copyhold dowers or free bench. Yet some have ascribed the introduction of dower to the Normans as a branch of their local tenures, though we cannot expect any feudal reason for its invention, since it was not a part of the pure, primitive, simple law of feuds, but was first of all introduced to that system wherein it was called Rean Tertia Indotalitium, by the Emperor Frederick II, who was contemporary with our King Henry III. It is possible, therefore, that it might be with us the relic of a Danish custom, since, according to the historians of that country, Dower was introduced into Denmark by Swine, the father of our Canute the Great, out of gratitude to the Danish ladies who sold all their jewels to ransom him when taken prisoner by the Vandals. However this may be, the reason which our law gives for adopting it is a very plain and sensible one, for the sustenance of the wife and the nurture and education of the younger children. In treating of this estate, let us first consider who may be endowed, secondly, of what she may be endowed, thirdly, the manner how she shall be endowed, and fourthly, how dower may be barred or prevented. 1. Who may be endowed? She must be the actual wife of the party at the time of his decease. If she be divorced, a veculo matrimoni, she shall not be endowed. 4. Ubi nullum matrimonium, ibi nulla dos. But a divorce, a mensa ad toro only, doth not destroy the dower. No, not even for adultery itself, by the common law. Yet now, by the statute Westminster II, 
If a woman elopes from her husband and lives with an adulterer, she shall lose her dower unless her husband be voluntarily reconciled to her. It was formerly held that the wife of an idiot might be endowed, though the husband of an idiot could not be tenant by the courtesy. But as it seems to be at present agreed, upon principles of sound sense and reason, that an idiot cannot marry, being incapable of consenting to any contract, this doctrine cannot now take place. By the ancient law, the wife of a person attainted of treason or felony could not be endowed. To the intent, says Stoneford, that if the love of a man's own life cannot restrain him from such atrocious acts, the love of his wife and children may. Though Britain gives it another turn, viz., that it is presumed that the wife was privy to her husband's crime. However, the statute 1, Edward VI, C. 12, abated the rigor of the common law in this particular and allowed the wife her dower. But a subsequent statute revived this severity against the widows of traitors, who are now barred of their dower, but not the widows of felons. An alien also cannot be endowed, unless she be the queen consort, for no alien is capable of holding lands. The wife must be above nine years old at her husband's death, otherwise she shall not be endowed, though in Bracton's time the age was indefinite, and dower was then only due se user puxit dotem promereri et virem sustinere. 2. We are next to inquire of what a wife may be endowed, and she is now by law entitled to be endowed of all lands and tenements of which her husband was seized in fee simple or fee tail at any time during the coverture, and of which any issue which she might have had might by possibility have been heir. Therefore, if a man seized in fee simple hath a son by his first wife, and after marries a second wife, she shall be endowed of his lands, for her issue might by possibility have been heir on the death of the son by the former wife. But if there be a donee in special tale, who holds lands to him and the heirs of his body begotten on Jane his wife, though Jane may be endowed of these lands, yet if Jane dies and he marries a second wife, that second wife shall never be endowed of the lands entailed, for no issue that she could have could by any possibility inherit them. A sizing in law of the husband will be as effectual as a sizing indeed, in order to render the wife dowable, for it is not in the wife's power to bring the husband's title to an actual sizing, as it is in the husband's power to do with regard to the wife's lands, which is one reason why he shall not be tenant of the courtesy, but of such lands whereof the wife or he himself in her right was actually seized indeed. The sizing of the husband for a transitory instant only, when the same act which gives him the estate also conveys out of him again, as where by a fine land is granted to a man and he immediately renders it back by the same fine, such a sizing will not entitle the wife to dower, for the land was merely in transitu and never rested in the husband. But if the land abides in him for a single moment, 
it seems that the wife shall be endowed thereof. And, in short, a widow may be endowed of all her husband's lands, tenements, and hereditaments, corporeal or incorporeal, under the restrictions before mentioned, unless there be some special reason to the contrary. Thus, a woman shall not be endowed of a castle built for defense of the realm, nor of a common without stint, for, as the heir would then have one portion of this common, and the widow another, and both without stint, the common would be doubly stocked. Copyhold estates also are not liable to dower, being only estates at the Lord's will, unless by the special custom of the manor, in which case it is usually called the widow's free bench. But where dower is allowable, it matters not though the husband alien the lands during the coverture, for he aliens them liable to dower. 3. Next, as to the manner in which a woman is to be endowed. There are now subsisting four species of dower, the fifth, mentioned by Littleton, de la plus belle, having been abolished altogether with the military tenures, of which it was a consequence. 1. Dower by the common law, or that which is before described. 2. Dower by custom, as that the wife shall have half the husband's lands, or in some places the whole, in some only a quarter. 3. Dower ad osium ecclesia, which is where the tenant in fee simple of full age, openly at the church door, where all marriages were formally celebrated, after affiance made, and, Sir Edward Coke in his translation adds, troth plighted between them, doth endow his wife with the whole, or such quantity as he shall please, of his lands, at the same time specifying and ascertaining the same, on which the wife, after her husband's death, may enter without farther ceremony. 4. Dower ex asensu patris, which is only a species of dower ad astium ecclesia, made when the husband's father is alive, and the son by his consent, expressly given, endows his wife with parcel of his father's lands. In either of these cases, they must, to prevent frauds, be made in faci ecclesia et ostium ecclesia, non em in valent facta in lecto mortali, nec in camera, alta libe ube clandestina fuere conjugia. It is curious to observe the several revolutions which the doctrine of dower has undergone since its introduction into England. It seems first to have been of the nature of the dower in Gavilkind before mentioned, viz. a moiety of the husband's lands, but forfeitable by incontinency or a second marriage. By the famous charter of Henry I, this condition of widowhood and chastity was only required in case the husband left any issue, and afterwards we hear no more of it. Under Henry II, according to Glanville, the dower of ad ostium ecclesia, was the most usual species of dower, and here, as well as in Normandy, it was binding upon the wife, if by her consented to at the time of marriage. Neither, in those days of feudal rigor, was the husband allowed to endow her ad ostium ecclesia 
with more than the third part of the lands, whereof, when he was seized, though he might endow her with less, lest by such liberal endowments the Lord should be defrauded of his wardships and other feudal profits. But if no specific dotation was made at the church porch, then she was endowed by the common law of the third part, which was called her dos rationabilis, of such lands and tenements as the husband was seized at the time of the espousals and no other, unless he specially engaged before the priest to endow her of his future acquisitions, and, if the husband had no lands, an endowment in goods, chattels, or money, at the time of espousals, was a bar of any dower in lands which he afterwards acquired. In King John's Magna Carta and the First Charter of Henry III's, no mention is made of any alteration of the common law in respect of the land subject to dower. But in those of 1217 and 1224, it is particularly provided that a widow shall be entitled for her dower to the third part of all such lands as the husband had held in his lifetime. Yet, in case of a specific endowment of less, ad officium ecclesiasi, the widow still had no power to waive it after her husband's death. And this continued to be law during the reigns of Henry III and Edward I. In Henry IV's time, it was denied to be law that a woman can be endowed of her husband's goods and chattels. And under Edward IV, Littleton lays it down expressly that a woman may be endowed ad officium ecclesiae with more than a third part and shall have her election after her husband's death to accept such dower or refuse it and betake herself to her dower at common law. Which state of uncertainty was probably the reason that these specific dowers ad ostium ecclesiae and ex ascensu patris have since fallen into total disuse. I proceed, therefore, to consider the method of endowment or assigning dower by the common law, which is now the only usual species. By the old law, grounded on the feudal exactions, a woman could not be endowed without a fine paid to the Lord neither could she marry again without his license, lest she should contract herself and so convey part of the feud to the Lord's enemy. This license the Lord's took care to be well paid for, and, as it seems, would sometimes force the dowager to a second marriage in order to gain the fine. But to remedy these oppressions, it was provided, first by the charter of Henry I, and afterwards by Magna Carta, that the widow shall pay nothing for her marriage, nor shall be distrained to marry afresh, if she chooses to live without a husband, but shall not, however, marry against the consent of the Lord. And farther, that nothing shall be taken for assignment of the widow's dower, but that she shall remain in her husband's capital mansion house for forty days after his death, during which time her dower shall be assigned. These forty days are called the widow's quarantine, a term made use of in law to signify the number of forty days, whether applied to this occasion or any other. The particular lands to be held in dower must be assigned by the heir of the husband or his guardian, not only for the sake of notoriety, 
but also to entitle the lord of the fee to demand his services of the heir in respect of the lands so held. For the heir by this entry becomes tenant thereof to the lord, and the widow is immediate tenant to the heir by a kind of sub-infudation or under-tenancy completed by this investiture or assignment, which tenure may still be created, notwithstanding the statute of Kia Emtores, because the heir parts not with the fee simple, but only with an estate for life. If the heir or his guardian do not assign her dower within the term of quarantine, or do assign it unfairly, she has her remedy at law, and the sheriff is appointed to assign it. If the thing of which she is endowed be divisible, her dower must be set out by meets and bounds. But, if it be indivisible, she must be endowed specifically, as of the third presentation to a church, the third toll-dish of a mill, the third part of the profits of an office, the third sheaf of tithe, and the like. Upon preconcerted marriages, and in estates of considerable consequence, tenancy in dower happens very seldom. For the claim of the wife to her dower, at the common law diffusing itself so extensively, it became a great clog to alienations and was otherwise inconvenient to families. Wherefore, since the alteration of the ancient law respecting dower ad ostium ecclesiae, which hath occasioned the entire disuse of that species of dower, jointures have been introduced in their stead as a bar to the claim at common law, which leads me to inquire lastly, 4. How dower may be barred or prevented. A widow may be barred of her dower not only by elopement, divorce, being an alien, the treason of her husband, and other disabilities before mentioned, but also by detaining the title deeds or evidences of the estate from the heir, until she restores them, and, by the statute of Gloucester, if a dowager aliens the land assigned her for dower, she forfeits it ipso facto, and the heir may recover it by action. A woman also may be barred of her dower by levying a fine or suffering a recovery of the lands during her coverture. But the most usual method of barring dowers is by jointures, as regulated by the statute 27 Henry VIII, C. 10. A jointure, which strictly speaking signifies a joint estate, limited to both husband and wife, but in common acceptation extends also to a sole estate, limited to the wife only, is thus defined by Sir Edward Coke, a competent livelihood of freehold for the wife of lands and tenements to take effect in profit or possession presently after the death of the husband for the life of the wife at least. This description is framed from the purview of the statute 27 Henry VIII C. 10 before mentioned, commonly called the statute of uses, of which we shall speak fully hereafter. At present, I have only to observe that, before the making of that statute, the greatest part of the land of England was conveyed to uses, the property or possession of the soil being vested in one man, and the use or profits thereof in another.
hold directions with regard to the disposition thereof the former was in conscience obliged to follow and might be compelled by a court of equity to observe. Now, though a husband had the use of lands in absolute fee simple, yet the wife was not entitled to any dower therein, he not being seized thereof, wherefore it became usual on marriage to settle by express deed some special estate to the use of the husband and his wife for their lives in joint tenancy or jointure, which settlement would be a provision for the wife in case she survived her husband. At length, the statute of uses ordained that such as had the use of lands should, to all intents and purposes, be reputed and taken to be absolutely sized and possessed of the soil itself. In consequence of which legal sizing, all wives would have become dowable of such lands as were held to the use of their husbands, and also entitled at the same time to any special lands that might be settled in jointure, had not the same statute provided that upon making such an estate in jointure to the wife before marriage, she shall be forever precluded from her dower. But then these four requisites must be punctually observed. 1. The jointure must take effect immediately on the death of the husband. 2. It must be for her own life at least, and not pur autar vie, or for any term of years, or other smaller estate. 3. It must be made to herself, and no other in trust for her. 4. It must be made, and so in the deed particularly expressed to be, in satisfaction of her whole dower, and not of any particular part of it. If the jointure be made to her after marriage, she has her election after the husband's death, as in dower ad officium ecclesiae, and may either accept it or refuse it, and betake herself to her dower at common law, for she was not capable of consenting to it during coverture. And if, by any fraud or accident, a jointure made before marriage proves to be on a bad title, and the jointress is evicted or turned out of possession, she shall then, by the provisions of the same statute, have her dower pro tanto at the common law. There are some advantages attending tenants in dower that do not extend to jointresses, and so, vice versa, jointresses are in some respects more privileged than tenants in dower. Tenants in dower, by the old common law, is subject to no tolls or taxes, and hers is almost the only estate on which, when derived from the king's debtor, the king cannot distrain for his debt if contracted during the coverture. But on the other hand, a widow may enter at once without any formal process on her jointure land, as also might have done the dower ad officium ecclesiae, which a jointure in many points resembles, and the resemblance was still greater while that species of dower continued in its primitive state, whereas no small trouble and a very tedious method of proceeding is necessary to compel a legal assignment of dower. And, what is more, though dower be forfeited by the treason of the husband, 
yet land settled in jointure remain unimpeached to the widow. Wherefore, Sir Edward Coke very justly gives it the preference as being more sure and safe to the widow than even dower ad officium ecclesiae, the most eligible species of any. End of chapter 8, part 2